So our participants are coming up to speed. So I want to welcome everyone to this briefing. I will get into the slideshow shortly, but with me are two distinguished guests. We have Paul Fetcher, a longtime friend uh, from the 80s, and uh, he knows all of my kaleidoscopic history. And he's also a longtime investor in the company. And he is also an, a restaurant expert, been there for, what, 30 years, something like that? A uh, bit more. I, I've been in commercial real estate for 50, and I started my first paycheck job was flipping burgers and cutting potatoes into French fries in 1963. So you're not 13. No. God, how did that happen? I'm, I'm not quite <laughs> sure. But I got to say, Riggs did teach me how to make the best risotto. Man, I love risotto. Yep. It is the, yeah. I, 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 I love how just it comes together slowly, right? Oh, yeah. Thank you for that. So uh, Paul Fetcher is, of course, a restaurant expert in the middle of New York, which is the ground zero of the real estate implosion. He'll be telling us about that. And then we have Tom Marchesello, our, our COO, Mr. Real, as I call him. And he will be talking to us a little bit, giving us non-material information about how we did, because this is, you know, we're before basically the official reports and we're a public company, but we're going to give you a flavor of how it's been going. Here I am. I'm uh, going to welcome you all to the show. And with, without further ado, I am going to share Water's New Gold, helping you thrive in the world's only vital, scarce and recession-proof market. Why is water recession-proof? Because there's never enough of it, especially the clean stuff. It is October 1st. Uh, yesterday was the last day of Q3 in the public world. That means a lot. And we are excited about uh, what happened in the quarter. I'm, I'm going to tease it because I know that Tom has a lot to tell us. Briefing number 81. Wow, how the time flies. Okay, so quickly, I'm going to run through a couple things. First of all, of course, you know, safe harbor statement, meaning that what we say is our best effort. Do not consider us to be on the order of profits, but we do our very best. All right, now, introducing... <coughs> Paul Fetcher. Now, who is Paul Fetcher? Well, I took a snapshot of his website. Great American Brokerage is his company. The website is restaurantexpert.com. He represents both uh, uh, landlord side and tenant side. And he's written a couple really well-distributed articles, how to deal with your landlord in the age of COVID-19. And are you ready for the new normal? His articles are all over the restaurant industry. So welcome, Paul. And I'm going to let you have the stage and talk for a little bit. What are you seeing in this market? And just what's your overall take? Uncertainty. More than anything else, it's the uncertainty. And Wall Street hates uncertainty. But if I go out and I take a look at some of the real estate uh, investment trusts that are out there right now, it's no question in my mind that if I see something selling for 50% of what it was selling for seven or eight months ago, mm -hmm. that South Coast Plaza or Roosevelt Field is not worth half of what it was seven months ago. So I think that that's something to jump on. But what has happened in the marketplace is tremendous uncertainty. When we got shut down, and New York got shut down pretty early. We got shut down on March 16th. 100% don't go to work, don't go to any stores, stores are closed, restaurants are closed, you can do carry out and drive through and that's all for restaurants. So that was what was performed and given to us as a- As an appetizer. As an eat, eat it, right. Now, if that happened on March 16th, 
How many people thought this would go beyond the end of April? The pessimists thought it might go till the end of April. No one thought it would be lasting this long. And we have to sit here now and say, where is the light at the end of the tunnel? And if we're moving into flu season, and if we don't have an effective vaccine, and if you got to make a couple of million copies of anything other than the Apple 17, what do you do? And the answer is, we have a very difficult time in terms of how many people will have it. Some of the things that scare me are the statistics that are coming back. If there was a vaccine today, who would take it? 25%, 26% of the Anglo population would not take it. 46% of the African-American population would, meaning 54% would not. Now, if you look at it, we're getting exposure of about 3% of the people. I live on a relatively small island. We have 44,000 people. We got over 1,000 cases. So we're at 2.5% in terms of what's happened here. And people are behaving moderately well. Now, if you get a bunch of people around a bar and they get a couple of drinks, are they going to be more or less compliant in terms of wearing their masks and in terms of social distancing? The more they drink, That's of course. Yeah, and that's what's happening, and that's where we're getting these things bubbling up. So New York City, in the infinite wisdom of the, the mayor of New York City, came out, and today was the first day you were allowed to dine indoors. Now, if you look at what they did, they said, first of all, we're going to waive all fees on outdoor dining. But there are people that have 120-seat restaurants and they could put about a dozen seats outside. Sure. How does that help them? If I look at what else they do and the city says, okay, you now can go out and into the curb in the parking spaces in front of your restaurant, you can serve in that space. So if you set that up for dining in a parking space, I thought of it very much like a NASCAR race. The question wasn't if, it's when. In a NASCAR race, you don't ask, gee, is there gonna be a wreck? When you have people dining curbside, you got to say, when is somebody going to drive into them? Oh and while all it took a while, you were about three weeks all down all the road, but in two days, we had two incidences of people driving into those. You know, somebody does a fender bender with another car, caroms off, and boom, into the sidewalk dining. Now, fortunately, there's no, been no loss of life. The city then has some other challenges. You see, if you're going to open at 25%. If I like at Boston at 50% and they're not having outbreaks, then why can't we open at 50%? The challenge with the restaurant industry is it's not scalable. I can go into a Marshall's and in a Marshall's, if I can have 25% of the occupancy, I have 25% of the salespeople and everything's in scale, it'll work. But in a restaurant, I don't know how to hire 25% of a hostess, 25% of a bartender, 25% of a dishwasher, 25% of a grill man. So it's it no longer the hostess with the mostest, in other words. Oh, you gotta be out there and at 50%, some people, <laughs> the owners are working more than ever before. They've cut their payroll, having fewer people in doing more to take phone orders and wrapping it up to go or delivery or third party delivery services. That's a lot of what happening. But 
the cost and the ability to clear the hurdles at 50%, they're just about breaking even. Obviously, okay. they have to deal with So let's the take that because um, I, I, I don't, I, this is Please. a downer for me, but let's, let's, let's fast forward to, okay, you painted the picture. Now, what does this mean? You know, we get to the, what's called, what, 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 what uh, one analyst calls the fat tail. The, the, all the way at the end, the big fat tail of risk. We're talking about not only, of course, the restaurants uh, shutting down many, many permanently, but then of course, because there's no restaurants, why would anybody come into the office? And, and it turns into a, a problem for New York itself, doesn't it? New York has, last year, 2019, had 64 million visitors. In the six months prior to September, they had 2 million visitors. And I remember March 12th, I was invited to dinner at the New York Athletic Club. And during that dinner, at the end of the dinner, the president of the club asked me to come upstairs. They were having a final in their snooker contest. And most of the folks had gray hair there, but there was a young man and a young woman. Well, they were from Broadway. And it was shocking at that time on March 12th that they said, we're going to close for the rest of the month. And they went back home to Midwest and they closed ready for the rest of the month. Their Broadway is closed for the rest of the year. The Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts has already announced there will not be a 2021 season. Okay, so let's take that thought because Paul, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to use up the entire show. Yeah. Uh, because I want to hear from Tom. I want to know how we did last quarter. Exactly. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, right, shareholder. But really fast, where, where I'm getting with this, the reason why you're on the show aside from being a longtime investor is that what this means really for real estate as an investment, for the real estate investment trusts, for the people you know, who thought this was a very, very stable, you know, look at the ARI, ARI you know, the Apollo stock graph, flat, you know, pretty stable, 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 and all of a sudden, for the first time ever, it's kind of like how a bond, all of a sudden you break the buck, right? Right. right. So where do you, what is the outlook, do you think, in 2021, just generally with uh, the real estate investment market? I have to go back to 1897 with Baron Rothschild and say the time to buy is when there's blood running in the streets. When everyone has tremendous fear and think we're going to hell in a handbasket, that's the time to go in there. When I'm looking at real estate investment trusts, stocks that are selling for 50 cents on the dollar of what they were seven months ago, then it's time to throw some chips into that bucket because the value of the bricks and mortar and enclosed regional malls. I'd only invest in those who have A malls, class A malls. <laughs> we have far too much square footage in America. Simple as that. We have over 26 square feet of retail space for everyone in America. Nobody else, no other country in the world has more than 18 square foot per person. And if I go to Europe, I'm looking at fewer than 10 square feet of retail for every person. That's we're amazing. at 26. That's scary. That's why we're looking at taking some of the big boxes and the Macy's that are vacating and let's turn them into Amazon fulfillment centers. Let's turn them into office. If I look at the real peak of the mountain, the peak of the mountain is Hudson Yards, a $2.3 billion project on the west side of Manhattan. It's a city unto itself in terms of the sheer numbers of what's there. 
it had the flagship for Neiman Marcus. Neiman Marcus operated one year. They have closed the doors. They put the keys on the table. What happens to that space now? It is going to be converted into office space. Office space, you're going to have the same people there every day. You'll have more people there. You're not going to have, you know, how often, when was the last time you went out to buy a suit and how often do you have to do that? It's we'll go good food and beverage. I ate yesterday. I ate today. And I'm probably going to eat tomorrow. Those are some of the positive things that happen for high frequency of customer visit. But the people that go to Neiman Marcus once every three months or two months or even once a month, those are the people that will benefit the other retailers, the other soft goods, the other fashion retailers. Mm -hmm. The people that go there to work every day, those folks are not going to be able to support the adjacent retailers who I assure you are paying the highest retail rates in Manhattan other than Times Square and Fifth Avenue. And this is, this is really our theme is that the, 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 the manpower, the, the person power that's being released from all of this realignment is, is, you know, the water business has said officially it needs 3 million people this decade. And that doesn't even count the entrepreneurs that we want, the waterpreneurs that we want to create. Sure. So, you know, it's, it's bad news for those legacy industries, but there is an opportunity here to realign them. Thank you, Paul. Absolutely. I'm going to now uh, turn to the Tom Marchesello report. The report basically says in Q3, how do we do? Well, we did pretty good, actually. So the team was uh, pretty productive. And uh, honestly, we had probably one of the better quarters that we've had really uh, of all the last three quarters. We've had three growing quarters in a row, and this quarter is no different. Uh, we were actually surprised by the increase in volume that we saw, but we really, really pushed pretty darn hard. And uh, honestly, this last week in particular, we've been, we've been pulling in that accounts receivable and getting those purchase orders. So actually as of yesterday and even this morning, we got two more, which was awesome. And you know, I'm, I'm just actually looking at my sheet and the numbers are running off 154,000, 50,000, 105,000, 143,000. These are like projects we're booking in, boom, 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 one after the other. And uh, that's basically bringing the September total in very, very strongly. Now, granted, when we do the accounting, there's the issue <coughs> of what can we book on the books, you know, versus, you know, what do we book in the sales channel? So our sales channel looks good. And then it's an issue of when we realize the revenue, which is always the accounting aspect of this. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, uh, we had a really very solid uh, performance and it came out of a couple different uh, areas. Actually, it was, was a couple different product lines. We continue to do more, more reverse osmosis machines, our traditional industrial products. Mm -hmm. We continue to do more, um, actually a lot of membranes and filtration equipment, which is great. We had a lot of specialty equipment that we did, a lot of customs on some custom fabrication for some specialty industrial platforms. Uh, we had a couple things for the agriculture industry, uh, for animal farming. We had a couple things uh, also in here that were related to industrial oil and gas refineries and chemical plants. Wow, that is super. Wow. Yep. We also had the hotel projects as well, which was great. So we are getting nice variety in the sense of like we're having good industrial commercial client end market. And then we're getting a good aspect to the types of products we're doing. They all fit within our spectrum of, you know, five or six different machine type end markets that we're doing, but we're getting repeat orders as well. And I also see we did get some retrofit and upgrade uh, work as well, which is, is always good 
good for us. And as a big, I mean, as you were saying, the consumables, which is normally around 50K a month, our yep. new level is what, in the like 100, 100 plus? We're definitely picking up that level. We're, we're consistently knocking in the $100,000 plus range whenever we're doing the consumables. And that's intentional as well because we really want to pick up that piece of the business. And then sometimes we're also selling things like, you know, uh, tankage and, you know, other materials and pumps. So that's another extra thing that we can do in consumables, not just the filtration and media aspect. But consumables are important because they are business builder for the larger stuff, right? The more relationship you have at the low level, it creates that future thing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Whenever you have, you know, the, the basics basically of, of the industry that just opens the doors to a lot of places. Cause then people can ask you for other things that they need. And then they open the door to, you know, if you're buying a lot of filters for one of your pieces of machinery, sometimes it's just the machine's not working great. Right. So that might be an opportunity to replace that particular machine, or it might be an opportunity because they're, they're just at capacity. And now you basically need to expand your system. You know, as a matter of fact that, it brings up the discussion that we often have with the team, which is why are the sales coming in? Like you would thought during a time of coronavirus, we got worried that maybe the market would freeze up a little bit, but instead we ended up seeing this expansion for ourselves. And the easiest way of explaining it was that our fundamental market was growing just in general. And statistically I was looking up industry resources and asking our teammates, What's going on? Why are people placing orders with us? And what we got as feedback was a couple of different answers. Number one, people needed to do the work. They had to, because it's not going to stop. Right. You know, municipal platforms are really working hard to provide fresh water, clean water, sanitized water for all, you know, mm-hmm. people, whether they're at an office building or at home, that's not going to stop. It's not like the people went away. Mm-hmm. And the truth is we have populations growing. We also have populations moving around to new areas. And so those right. water needs are continuing to grow. Sure. And the, the report I'm reading basically says is during this time of coronavirus, interestingly, they're running into some budgetary issues at the governmental level on budgets where maybe they're clamped down on the budgets. They're not going to improve the local muni site. So instead, right. industrial sites and then commercial sites are saying, I'm going to have to pay for this myself because I have to do this. Which I is have to us. take care of my people. That's us. Which is great. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Wow. So decentralization is actually ramping up. And like all the old trends just accelerated in this COVID, right? It did. They accelerated for us. We, we were in a good spot to you know, lay into the trend that was already in place. And then it accelerated and boosted us. And at the same time, also killed off some of the international competition that was kind of contaminating our market with low pricing. So all of a sudden, you know, as a, as a domestic USA company sitting here operating out of Texas, we have a strong footprint to getting things done. And that real experience of real guys getting it done in America played well for us. Wow. And, you know, what's interesting is that the hotel business, um, and I'm going to ask uh, Paul to turn on his video again because uh, he has some thoughts to give us. This is an amazing thing. We were introduced to a hotelier two weeks ago. You spoke to him, Tom, told him about our hotel purification system. And yesterday he invested in Origin Clear. Crazy. That is awesome. Yeah, Crazy. Cool. I like that guy. Cool guy. Oh, well, in <laughs> fact, we're going to hear much more about him uh, as the thing goes forward. Amazing, amazing uh, guy. And, and uh, I'm, I can't get into details right now. But what this means is that people are turned on to the idea. 
look, if you're going to travel now, you want to go to a hotel that has incredible water because guess what? Viruses live in water, right? This is one of the, one of the vectors, as they say. And so this is a competitive differentiation. And so literally for someone to make a large investment because they, they, we have a great offer, but most, more importantly, they love what we're doing and it's uh, changing the planet for the better. The hotel industry needs every angle it can get. So Paul, you had some thoughts. Yeah, two things. Number one is piggybacking on what you just said. There's absolutely no question. People are more concerned about their environment than ever before. If they're going to go sleep on another strange pillow, they want to make sure that things are as pure as they can be. We have people putting in HEPA filters that couldn't spell HEPA six months ago, seven months ago, but wow. now can. So that's part of what's happening. The other thing that's happening is right now, we're, when they're getting whacked, it's no longer the lucrative business like, hey, I can rent a room for 150 bucks a night and it costs me 12 bucks to have somebody clean it, look at my gross profit on that. Right. Today, they're not getting that, they're not fill, filling the beds. This is what has happened. In New York City, 60% of the hotels are dark. They've closed it. Something even as large and powerful as the Hilton in Times Square has turned the keys over to the lenders they're not gonna be able to reopen. That's like a 2000 oh, hotel, right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's rather substantial. The oh. other thing now is going to, what else do you do with the ones that are open? Answer, they're running at 40% occupancy. Now, I sat two weeks ago with a hotelier, he's got five hotels. He took all of his reservations from five hotels, moved them all to one of his hotels, and he's running 50% at that hotel. At Do least the math, you know? Look at what he's getting. In other words, New York City right now, the hotels are running at about a 40% open, 40% occupancy, 16% occupancy rate of New York City capacity. Uh, if, if I look at Long Island City, Long Island City, 10 years ago, had one hotel. Today, they have 23. How many of them do you think are open? Ten. Four. Oh, Lord, have mercy. That's it. Wow. So these folks that are in that industry, they've got to watch every single nickel and dime. And the ones who get aged, what happens to all the crud you're putting into your pipes and the calcification that takes place from the hard water? Can we eliminate that? How about the purity of what you are delivering to the guest? And do you think that becomes a differentiating factor, a unique selling proposition when you want someone to stay in your hotel tonight, as opposed to the guy down the street? Well, you just told us enough about that. You are blowing my mind and it's telling us that we can look forward to an amazing run with hotels for that marketing reason, because sanitization absolutely amazing right thank you and that's been a big piece yeah i was gonna say paul it's fantastic because it matches everything we we're hearing and being told by the the end market client you know it's it and it's the markets are so different by state too because obviously we're we're sitting here i'm in florida and we didn't have kind of the shutdowns in the same way that that new york did obviously and one of my friends owns a hotel here and uh he he actually pretty good they just couldn't wait to open their hotels but even even during some of the the times they, they were running about 70 percent 
So they they didn't have anything close to like a forty percent drop off no, for their properties. No, it is it, it's amazing. But uh, I think out of it all, the smart people, as you say, Paul, are going to invest in better water. So amen to that. Uh, I'm going to move it along. Just uh, thank you, everyone. Just to recap, we've uh, we've heard from Paul Fetcher, an amazing restaurant expert, about the tough times in New York City and what people are doing to survive. Tom Marchesella was told us about Q3, which is, we think, pretty solid. Of course, you'd never know until you do what's called recognized revenue, which is some mystical thing that has nothing to do with cash. It but, means the uh, check cleared. Well, that, but also yeah. there's these milestones. It, it's, a, it's a totally weird thing. I'm not going to get into it. But all I'm saying is that subject to the final report that will be coming out in, in 45 days, we are looking good. So thank you, gentlemen. I'm going to jump into some slides really fast here that are fascinating that I grabbed from Ken because, you know, amateurs borrow professional steel. Let me show you <coughs> what I stole from Ken Berenger. This is some fun stuff. All right. So Ken is building this, this whole rationale, which is today's Apple investor is right around about $116, something like that. And people are saying, well, you know, is it going to double? Well, who the heck knows? But do you want to be that investor that maybe may or may not double, maybe just 10%, who knows? Or do you want to be Steve Jobs and the original Apple 300, the 300 people who became millionaires in the early days? Paul will know that I, I, we were in, in 1984 when the Mac was launched in New York and people were mortgaging their homes to buy Apple stock. Now, those people, when did they sell? Did they sell? Did they still own their stock? No, I suspect they sold when their stock went from you know, $5 to $80, $80 and you're gonna sell, right? So, and of course there's been a bunch of, of splits. So the point is, it's very, very hard to hold on because you could lose everything if you have stock. Let's just look, take a look at Tesla. Tesla's today investor at 400 plus dollars is that the person who was in there in the early days? Very few, very few have held on. And that's the reality, just you're gonna take your, your, your gains. But what about if you'd been one of the early pioneers along with Elon Musk and started in around $2 or whatever it was that he came in on? Let me do a, give a couple of examples. I'll tell you where I'm going with this. Amazon, today's investor, 2000 plus. It's actually more than, than that figure because six months have gone by. I was there in 2000 with stock from a company that I had sold and I had this public stock and I was literally looking at Amazon at $23 in early 2000. Uh, well, in late 2000, early 2001, and going, should I buy the Amazon stock? Well, the fact is that even then, the Amazon stock did not go anywhere for a very long time, all the way until 2010. So again, you could have lost everything. You could have been, of course, early on with Jeff Bezos back in the early days. And was that a good idea? Probably was, right? So how do you get paid to wait? How well would the early equity investors in companies like Apple, Tesla, and Amazon have done if they got paid to wait? What about if you would been an employee without having to work? In other words, you're just a passive investor, you get dividends, you're being paid to wait. People are buying into this and it's enabling us to, right now, we are now able to buy those, that equipment that I've been talking about for the water as a career entrepreneurs, for people like Brian Kustra, who's ready for his second and third machine, we now, the money is now coming in because of this amazing structure that we have that it really, first of all, delivers a 10% plus yield, 8% cash, 4% stock. In other words, 1% stock every quarter. And then a 25% bonus grant. 
So you invest $100,000, you get $25,000 worth of stock completely free that is safeguarded until the day you convert it to common stock. Now, your investment, you can turn it in for twice its value in stock at the later price, and you may invest less than 100,000, but it's only for accredited and offshore investors. So that is the, the offering that is on the table. Of course, you know about our unaccredited investor offering, but that is a separate matter that we will be covering in future shows. You'll be helping us to develop water as a career, literally helping us finance these machines and we get revenue and assets, which ultimately I believe will land us on the NASDAQ. That's my personal goal. I'm not representing this as a company goal yet, but that's my personal goal. And eventually develop this alternative investment marketplace that we will see what that does. And then of course you get paid to wait through the double digits dividends and choose your conversion. Here's the contact number. I'm not done. I have a short video to play, which I think you'll enjoy. But here's where you're going to be contacting Ken, who's just an amazing guy. He's smarter than me. You always want to, Bill Gates has said this. He says, always hire people who are smarter than you. And I think that's very, very true. Devin Angus at extension 116. Just email. Or the easiest thing is to put in your browser, oc.gold slash Ken, and that instantly schedules a meeting. All right. Next week, we have big news from our friends at Philanthrope Investors. They are really, 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 really doing amazing things. And they have restored my faith in partners <laughs> because it's very hard, as everyone knows who's ever had a partner. So um, what I'm going to do now is I am going to turn on the share screen again and play this short video, which I think you'll enjoy. Environmentally, we need to clean up our water and the United States should be number one in it and having as pristine as we can. Doing something that is positive and taking care of a situation in Flint, Michigan and in Los Angeles and, and numerous other places that have had water problems. We started giving to a church that uh, dug wells for people who had no drinking water. So when, when I saw how Origin Clear is cleaning water, it seems like the perfect match. I mean, a lot of people have water in the refrigerators and that make ice. Well, that's got to be clean or else we are going to continue with our health problems that we keep running into. It is time to do something about it. It's time to really be effective. And I'd like to be a part of that solution by investing in Origin Clear. I am also a CPA for the last 40 years, very much in tune with changing economics. And one thing right now is with low interest rates in there, what we need to do is get regular cash flow coming back because it's getting very hard to put money at risk for time. My lovely wife, Linda here, is so tight. <laughs> she's not gonna jump into anything. She looks it over very carefully. I was a little skeptical at first. I had to see everything, you know, really look at the numbers, but we really believe in what you guys are doing. And uh, I was excited about it when they showed it to me is the fact that you get a regular return of principal and interest on an ongoing basis, plus a participation in uh, value growth, an ongoing revenue stream. I've been amazed at what you guys have done in the past, and I'm really, really excited about what the future is going to bring because Origin Clear is probably one of the most innovative and interesting companies that I have ever been involved with. And I think the sky's the limit for the future. It's been consistent, it's been 
very lucrative and it's been very fulfilling because we actually feel like we're doing something for the economy. Allows you the flexibility to start redirecting things and adjusting if there is a new lifestyle or something that needs to be addressed. And you know, it's a way to make money and uh, in this time of uncertainty with you know, the markets going up and going down and, and everything else. And uh, you guys have been steady for the last two years with uh, regular payments. And so I'm, uh, I'm betting on the future. I think it's gonna be great. I am Eric Keller, a CPA, and uh, I'm a water philanthro investor. I'm Keith Rutten. I'm a water philanthro investor. Hi, I'm Bob Roos, and I'm a water philanthro investor. Uh, now, why are these people saying I am a water philanthro investor, right? This is something we'll be discussing next week. The philanthro investor concept says that you will invest for good and you will do good while doing well. And I, I try to get that straight, Ken, and I think I did. But the truth is, is that we want to make money, but we want to make money in a way that's going to help the planet. And these investors are extremely happy with that. I, I really hope that you will call Ken, just book a call with him. And please come back next week because we are going to have an amazing show giving news about how things are breaking on the water philanthropy investing front. I'm required to end this thing with a disclaimer, which is why we're back in the share mode right now. And that is that we have a regulation D offering, which is unregistered and subject to risk. And you should always be able to bear the loss of your investment. I wanted to thank everyone on the show and thank you everyone for, for sticking around so long. Paul Fetcher said very true. If Apple found a cure for cancer tomorrow, it wouldn't double the stock price. The world is full of overnight successes that only took 10, 15 or 20 years and then exploded. Well, from your lips to God's ears, as I say, so thank you. Ken calls it organic decentralization, which is a beautiful thing because, of course, the world is decentralizing. Thank you all for uh, being on board for this show. It's been fascinating. I appreciate Paul Fetcher's input on what is happening, the, the, the tough times in New York City, and how a lot of really, really talented people are going to be looking for new opportunities. That manpower combined with our Waters of Career waterpreneur concept is going to really be an amazing conjunction of opportunity and also making a difference for the quality of water. Thank you again. Everyone have a nice weekend. See you next week for an amazing show involving philanthropy investing. Thank you.